This is Shannon in Durham. Chip in Durham. And Erica in Edmonton. And you are listening to the Audio Guide to Babylon 5, Episode 54, Severed Dreams. This is me doing my happy dance. This is me doing my happy dance. You can't see it, but I'm dancing. (laughs) I can't imagine why you'd be doing that. I have been looking forward to this ever since season one when I started counting to see who would be doing which episodes. And I realized I got this one because it's one of my favorites. (laughs) Oh, yes, I am happy. Understandably so. I guess that means that uh, we've given away everything that we need to say about the podcast and this podcast is over. Hell no. (laughs) Hell no. We get to talk about it. So, yes, we are at the end of what is sometimes called a holy trilogy of Babylon 5. Mainly because I started calling it A set of three episodes that um, just contain this um, one arc of story and are put together so well. And as um, Chip has pointed out a couple of times in previous podcasts, um, it makes a good gateway drug for people who've never seen the show. They might, you know, he might hand them these three episodes and say, just watch, see what you think. And it tends to grab people. Um, So given that this is a well-known episode, a um, considered a very quality episode, it won the Hugo Award in 1997 for best, uh, best drama. Um, What better time to bring back our control groupie? Hi, Steven. Hello! Welcome and back. You better like it. <laughs> oh, I have to admit, I didn't. Uh, when I was told that I was going to be on this specific episode, I was very intrigued, but I didn't want to know why because I'm so paranoid of spoilers. And then once mm-hmm. I saw it, and then once I was told after the fact that this is the one that won the Hugo and uh, and and everything else, um, a lofty honor indeed. So I am very glad to be back for this one. And we're very glad to have you. Um, Now, it's been a while. I think the last time we had you on was for the season two finale, uh, The Fall of Night. Um, Before we get into talking about Severed Dreams, what do you think about season three so far? Not just these three episodes, but kind of um, the whole thing. I'm really liking it. I think this is, uh, I I think Erica might have um, uh, mentioned my thoughts on the first episode when you recorded that one, that it it seemed very much like a show that has become assured of itself and knows what it's doing and knows what it wants to do. And I felt there was a lot more confidence over the first few episodes um, compared to the past seasons, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like um, Aragorn. He is, at first I, <laughs> I thought that he would... I you. <laughs> at, first, <laughs> at first I thought, oh, okay, here we go. It's sort of like this kind of pompous British actor uh, showing up and sort of being, uh, he doesn't, didn't really fit in and he doesn't fit in but i i like him for what he is this sort of dashing adventurer who shows up every third episode to do something and then disappears completely um so i i'm enjoying uh the new edition uh i'd say i was enjoying the telepath but i don't remember what she looks like because she's barely been in any episodes so she's fulfilling her role quite admirably um but no it's been a, it's been a really good start to the season like you said, definitely it feels like the um, show has found its voice and is going forward with it. Um, Chip, Erica, anything to add to that before we jump in? Uh, no, okay. let's... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, I think that sums it up pretty well. Okay. Yeah. Then, Severed if... dreams are made of this. Dear. <laughs> Sorry. 
Okay. So if for some really, really wild winning of the odds, this was your first episode of Babylon 5, what you need to know. A mysterious and powerful race known as the Shadows has been stirring up conflict between alien races, including encouraging the very problematic totalitarian regime currently gaining ground in EarthGov. President Clark has declared martial law, with an organization within the armed forces known as Nightwatch leading security efforts with an iron fist. Captain Sheridan of the Earth Alliance space station Babylon 5 used a technicality to keep Nightwatch out of power there. However, the B-5 command staff, who have been part of an effort to uncover the corruption in the Clark government, know that they can't keep dodging forever. That leads us to severed dreams. In this episode, the space destroyer Alexander arrives at Babylon 5 to sink temporary sanctuary while they repair damages from fighting against other Earth Force ships. While they do so, another renegade ship, the Churchill, arrives with news that Clark has sent a contingent to take control of Babylon 5. The Mars government refuses to implement martial law, and the Clark government reacts by bombing civilian populations on Mars. Outposts at Proxima 3 and Orion 7 immediately declare independence at that news. Sheridan consults with the command staff, and they decide it's time to declare their side as well. Sheridan makes the announcement to the station of secession, warning them of the coming conflict. After hearing from a badly injured scout that the shadows are moving openly to create wars between many alien races, Delenn questions why the Minbari government has not stepped forward. The scout replies that they have chosen to remain isolated. Upon hearing that, Delenn goes to the Grey Council and kicks serious rhetorical butt, breaking the council and taking five of the nine counselors with her to act rather than watch. Meanwhile, Clark's forces arrive at Babylon 5, demanding surrender. A firefight erupts, and the rebel side wins, but barely. Before they can catch their breath, a fresh wave of Earth Force ships arrives, and then Delenn arrives and kicks some more butt, backed by a Mimbari fleet. She declares Babylon 5 under the protection of her government, and the Earth Force ships do the smart thing and run. Babylon 5 is safe and independent from Earth for the moment. And that is Severed Dreams. Uh, so we've had the Wham! episode, as JMS likes to, like to call them back in the Usenet days, uh, with messages from Earth. Uh, then another Wham! in Point of No Return. And that prophetic title led us to this seriously dialed to 11 Wham! episode of Severed Dreams. Initial thoughts from everybody besides, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody have anything more coherent? That's almost I don't want, that's almost leading, isn't it? <laughs> I'll lead yeah, I don't, for this I don't, one. I, I don't want to cheer as loud as I feel because I, I fear for the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't you all go first? Because I'm act, I'm actually going to be uncharacteristically nitpicky about this, which is still my favorite episode. But uh, having watched it a couple of times, um, I noticed some things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not going to say there aren't nits to pick, but just taken sort of as a whole, as a coherent whole, this story is just so solid. I mean, the sort of the the moment of greatest tension, the action sequences toward the end there, 
as we were going into it in my head, I was thinking to myself, you know, I am watching this show very differently from the last time I watched through it. And, you know, I've, I've been enjoying the show very, very much, but in a different way than I did the first few times I watched it. And this time I am looking at it more nitpickly is not even quite the right word, but I've been trying to break it down in my head for Analytically. the podcast. Yes, thank you. That works perfectly. <laughs> so I'm, I'm being analytical about it. So I'm thinking, okay, this sequence is not going to have the same emotional impact for me that it always has before. There's there's no way it's going to live up to sort of my memory of of how it lifted me in the past. And by golly, it absolutely did. I was just almost vibrating there sitting on the couch. And at the end, I just I just wanted to stand up and cheer. I didn't. I held myself together, but it was a close thing. I have to agree with that. Um Yes, you know, we watching several times, seeing this episode so many times. Um, are there issues? Yes, here and there. There are a few things that need to be answered or fixed. But still, the emotional punch that this still carries 20 years later, dozens of viewings later, it's still a thrill and it's still amazing. I agree. The thing is, you can almost look at this trilogy of episodes as different strengths or different styles of television in a way. And uh, Stephen, you're you're very director-centered, uh, so um, I, I'd be interested to hear what you think about this. Messages from Earth, Mike Vehar. Im- yeah. I- immaculately, <laughs> immaculately directed episode. Lots of stuff happened, you know, good plot, good characterization, all this stuff, you know, very well put together. But it's clearly a directorial tour de force. Mm-hmm. Point of No Return and Severed Dreams aren't quite as well directed. Um, Ooh. Point of No Return has a lot of great character stuff in it. There's good character stuff in the other two episodes as well. But I think Severed Dreams is by far the scriptiest. <laughs> it, and, 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 and I kind of mean I kind of mean this in a complimentary way, but. The power of Severed Dreams is entirely, almost entirely due to plot. This happens, and this happens, and this happens, and it pays off everything that happened in this show, going all the way back to a guy named Jeffrey Sinclair sitting on a couch with his fiancée saying, nothing's the same anymore. The power of Severed Dreams is all about what happens in it and how our characters react to it. Um, and so this is an episode where there's some really weird editing uh, choices, uh, where the cuts from camera angle to camera angle happen at really weird times and the blocking and tackling of this giant space battle, you know, there's, there's some stuff there that I want to talk through and puzzle out at some point if we've got the time, but it's payoff. This episode is nothing but payoff almost. And, and the payoff is huge. Yeah, the I mean, when I was watching it, the scale of things is what is what got me. Actually, the the past three episodes, I didn't really see the martial law thing coming, nor did I see like a civil war basically erupting almost immediately, uh, which was a a very you know a big surprise. I've been sort of you know watching the opening titles the whole season, thinking like expecting the shadow war to start happening, and really it's it's the Earth War that has suddenly sort of like crept up and and become a thing. Um, and so to see all that sort of kind of pay off in this episode a lot quicker than I expected was um, was quite something. The, the momentousness of it all, I think, overcame 
um, a lot of the directorial choices or lack of choices, I think, that uh, that might have happened in this episode. <laughs> I don't think the director. I don't think the direction detracted from the episode. I think the strict no. the scripting was super powerful, but it's it's not Mike Vihar. It wasn't Janet Greek. It was it was comp- David Eggle. Yeah. Eagle. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, watching this one, um, paying more attention to the technical aspects as I'm beginning to learn how to discern them. Yeah, there were, like you said, odd choices here and there. Um, I was really trying to figure out why when Sheridan had was standing on the bridge with Ivanova next to him, um, they had that odd shot looking slightly up at them with like shadows all over the place around them that didn't seem to be a figurative statement. It just looked weird. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that was one thing. Um, I also noticed for the first time, I think the, whatever the zoom effect is as, um, the news hits Sheridan that, um, that Clark's forces are coming down his throat. And I was just like, was that necessary? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, see, that was a moment that, that got me to, I love a good retrograde zoom. I'm kind of a sucker for them. So I enjoyed the moment. I enjoyed it happening because, you know, it is, it's the kind of thing that sort of puts you as the viewer off balance because the screen is doing something that it normally shouldn't be doing and it kind of affects your eyes weirdly. And the audio but, levels at the same time go off too, which was kind of neat. Okay. Mm-hmm. But, but the thing is, in an episode like this where it is, you know, it's it's not poorly directed, it is perfectly fine in the directing, but when you have something that's not particularly artful or creative all the way through, when you do get a shot like that, sometimes it can feel like a directing 101 exclamation point. Like, you know, mm-hmm. this is a scene we're going to call your attention to and we're going to do this flashy trick in order to do it. So while on the one hand, I actually did enjoy that moment, it, it may be just because I am such a sucker for that particular camera trick, as opposed to thinking that it was, I mean, it's, it is also kind of the, the the kind of thing that if it's too flashy, it can kind of take you out of the moment a little mm-hmm. bit. And I fear that that's what happened to some people. I, I would agree yeah. with that. Yeah, especially in comparison to like the, the somewhat uninspiring shots elsewhere in the episode. I mean, there's the, the one before... Um, the Earth ships attack Babylon Five is just a weird shot where basically where they're I guess they're waiting for them to attack, but they just the camera just sort of this does a slow pan across the bridge and there's like guys in the pit there like looking up at something we don't mm-hmm. see what they're looking up and then it sort of finally settles on Corwin and it says oh we're under attack and I'm thinking. If, if they would have had, like, you know, cut to a close-up of Sheridan looking nervous, cut to a close-up of a crewman looking nervous, you know, Corwin looking nervous, boom, boom, and then boom, we hear the, we hear the sound of, of the computer alert saying they're being attacked. They would have built up so much tension, but it just feels like he's just, he's wandering. I think David mm-hmm. Eagle, Eagle tries to sort of have the actors and the action sort of play out in front of the camera, and he just wants to be there to capture it. But sometimes, for moments like that, you really need to sort of you know, tell the action yourself with the camera. Continuing with the directing, this just hit me. Um, We've complained quite a bit about action sequences and fight sequences here and there. My impression was that the battle with the the force coming in through the breaching pod into the station down in in the brown sector, that rather worked for me. That felt like, you know, opposing armies, opposing squadrons, fighting dirty fighting face to face into each other i thought that worked yeah right down to the super realistic arm injuries oh god (laughs) (laughs) 
Yes, for, for anyone who didn't notice, um, <laughs> I didn't. during during this sequence, um, it had been written into the script that um, Garibaldi would injure his ankle, um, and they filmed the scene with him and the cane talking to Sheridan early in this episode. Um, and then during these fight sequences, Jerry Doyle, bless his heart, managed to break his arm. So the scene oh, really? where Zach is helping him sit down to the floor... He's got the broken arm. They're trying to get that scene filmed before they can get so they can get him medical attention. And if you're watching as he's dropping the helmet, you can see the arm bend in the wrong way as it's going down. Oh. And yeah, it's it's just like, oh, my God. <laughs> so wow. massive, massive props to Jerry Doyle for gutting that one out. Um, wow. Yeah, I love that scene as well. And I am I am probably one of the biggest people people who get the most bored during fight scenes. That, that tends to be my refrain. And here, I think it was it was really well choreographed. And just, you know, seeing so many Narns just throwing themselves mm-hmm. into the breach, you know, that's, you know, you when you're in battle, you follow orders. And if they tell you to run at the enemy, who's just going to shoot you and, and mow you down? Like, that's that's what sometimes happens in war and it's awful and it's hard to watch but i think and of course the heck of it is garibaldi wanted them to make a stand back farther back but the nards just took off anyway yeah (laughs) Mm -hmm. nuts yeah yeah which is spoiling for a fight yeah um and you know and it it calls back very directly to the previous episode when um jakar Mm -hmm. is telling talan about the need for the nards to sacrifice to be prepared to to sacrifice themselves and uh just you know on the nose, here you go. I keep coming back. I, I keep coming back to the scripting and the plotting, and and mm-hmm. I'm I, at the moment I can't recall an episode of a television show, especially an episode that was not a finale, a season finale, that had so much that that had so much impact in terms of plot. Did it feel like a well written episode? Did the did the plot crowd other important things out, like characterization or artful dialogue or whatever? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me, I think the the scripting was matched overall by the acting. Uh, I think most most of the actors rose to the occasion. Um, I had a bit of trouble with the Mimbari Scout. He was uh, a bit too impassioned and and or trying to show passion and being in pain at the same time. I don't know, but uh, his performance bothered me. But, you know, overall, I think, you know, and there were plenty of character bits to be had. I mean, we finally see Delenn get her steel back because she, she's finally, she's found a mission again. We've, we've noticed, noted in the past that she's works best post her transformation when she's got a specific mission to go after. And here she's got a new mission and boy, is it a big one. Um. Mm-hmm. So it worked for me. Uh, I liked the scene between uh, Sheridan and his dad. After hearing about mm-hmm. Sheridan's dad a couple episodes ago, um, seeing the interaction between them. Um, and of course, since JMS is writing both episodes, that helps. But, you know, it felt very much like, yes, this is the guy who would spray a hose on the roof and make it rain for his kid. Yeah, I I love Rance Howard. I'm I'm not in love with his performance here. <laughs> I have to admit, it's a little on the nose with the you know the down home, mm-hmm. uh, down home farmer dad. I mean, he was supposed to be a diplomat, and I 
you know, it was, it, it's fine. I, the thing that I liked was just the interaction between mm-hmm. Sheridan and him. Cause like, you know, regardless of how the performance is on, on that side, I think Bruce Boxleitner was, he sold it. He, he misses his dad and this is important to him. And, and actually one of the little directorial things that I kind of did like in this episode was getting the shot of Rance Howard's face on the monitor. And you can actually see just very lightly, uh, the reflection of mm-hmm. Captain Sheridan in the glass of the monitor. So it's mm-hmm. like, that's nice to, to see them both at the same time. Yeah. I think yeah, Howard sort of eases into it. Um, he starts off being really all shucks. And mm-hmm. then when things get serious, um, he, he he comes into his own there. I think that's actually the... the I'm, it's not his performance so much as his, you know how we keep saying that sometimes the writing is a little clunky and some actors can can deliver clunky dialogue and make it sound good. I think that Rance Howard is not quite one of those actors. So when he gets lines like, oh, what was the awful one? He said, you know, if, if anybody comes, uh, the neighbors like us, although, you know, God knows why they do. That mm-hmm. I was just it, the, that line sounds so artificial. It's it's the kind of thing you write, not the kind of thing a person says. And mm-hmm. and I think that he just he had a few of those, and and that was something that he struggled with a little bit. This is where direction comes in. I find that that the difference between a good episode and a great episode or a bad episode is is when it comes down to direction. Is that I think the the regular cast members are always dependable. Like I. I I can't remember the last shaky performance I've seen from, you know, the main core basically, mm-hmm. but it's the it's the camera work and the performances of the guest actors I find is where you really notice the direction because I imagine a, you know, a Mike Vehar say would have like, you know, coaxed a different take out of Rance Howard for that scene uh, or you know, he would have focused a little more on that and it's at, at points during some of these episodes, it, it's, it's kind of like they've taken the first or second take and just sort of had to move on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This was a bear of an episode to turn over. There's a reference. If you go to the Lurker's Guide and look at some of the quotes, which I don't recommend you do, Stephen, because spoilers everywhere. Um, I never do. <laughs> the um, the One of the producers, uh, after he looked at after he looked at JMS's script for the first time laughs and says, "Boy, that's the best episode that we're never going to film. Are you are you nuts?" <laughs> um, and and keep in mind that you know we've had we had uh, Mojo uh, from Foundation Imaging uh, do an extra interview for a while a while ago, and he painted a really astonishing picture of what CGI was like in the earlier days of Babylon Five, where they could only render one part at a time and then they turned the the they would if if you had two ships in the frame at the same time they would render one ship and they would paint it on the uh side of a just uh, of a transparent cube and they would move that transparent cube around on the screen while they render the second ship in the thing something like that mm. just um awful stuff that we take for granted for now and it's two years later, and I don't think they're using Amigas anymore. Um, and <laughs> no. that that space battle is rich in detail, but there are also some obvious mistakes in there, like um, when when uh, ships have the wrong names on the side, um, yeah, and, and things like that. So, oh, do they really? I never noticed that. Yeah, they they got the Roanoke and the um, Agrippa, the two attacking ships, mixed up. Oops. Yeah. Oops. The, 
the Churchill the Churchill gets hit and then um, uh, Major Ryan's picking himself up off the floor or whatever. Um, and that's I, okay. I do remember that. I do remember that. Yeah. yeah. And you just forgive it, but I, I I think that like the the weird et, the weird uh, editing pace and things like that are just symptoms of them just working to the very last minute to try to get pull this thing together. And again, it's a tribute mm. to it's a tribute to the script and the plot and the setup of two and a half years worth of television that they pull it off so well for all of the bumps along the way. Yeah, I was genuinely impressed by that, by the space battles in this. Like, there were a lot of different gunships flying around and lots of explosions and two of the big cruisers running into each other and then one exploding. I, I was, yeah, especially given to where, you know, where this series came from in its early mm-hmm. days of uh, all CG space stuff. It was a, it was a marked um, improvement in, uh, in that sort of thing. Yeah, it's, the, it's by far the biggest space battle. And one thing that Star Trek does that Babylon 5 doesn't is energy shields. There do not appear to be energy shields of any sort of thing, of, of any kind in the Babylon 5 universe. It's an attempt to be a little more realistic. And in, in, the, different, in the different space battles that we've seen over the years... Um, you know, I, I had forgotten just how helpful the concept of an energy shield is in staging a space battle and making it seem realistic because you've got these big, these big cutting beams that look like they would just take out one of these big ships at the first, you know, at, at, and, and the fight is over. Uh, they t- they make references in the dialogue to interceptors and things like that that are apparently attempts to block mm-hmm. the guns. But there's a lot of and there's slight- a couple places where you actually see that. Yeah, here in- mm-hmm. but there's a lot of sleight of hand that goes into this space battle that seems to that 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 seems to make it work better than it shouldn't have. It seems to work dramatically, if not the sort of tactical thing that military science fiction geeks would uh, sort of would sort of get into. I don't think Severed Dreams benefits from looking at it with a microscope. I think you miss. Uh, I, I think you see too many warts, and you miss the power of the script and the plot and the the stuff that happens. And if you look at that too closely, you miss you know the four jump points opening on top of the station, and you knowing that you know it's all over for them. And no, it's redemption. You know, that's where the power of this episode comes from. Mm-hmm. Had, th- had this been a uh, a season finale, I would have genuinely wondered who was going to make it out of this thing alive. The fact that it's like episode what nine or ten of uh, ten, yeah, of, of season three did sort of diminish the. But maybe not because you know this this is a show that kills children. Um, so it, <laughs> it's. It's not afraid to pull punches, and and who knows? Yeah. I mean, I have no idea what happens to the cast for, through the rest of the series. So, we may, very well could have lost a Devonava or something if she didn't uh, if she didn't uh, jump out of her her gunship mm-hmm. um, before a crash. So there there was there was some like you know that when when those four jump points open, I was thinking, oh wow, this is really intriguing because I more or less forgot about the Minbari and what they were doing at that point. Everybody who's seen this episode for the first time does that. Yeah, which is part of the beauty of the script. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, because even though we've had, had Dylan go in and yell at everybody and uh, break a stick and um, lead out half the council, um, because everything else is flying around, you, you forget about that until, um, yeah, until that moment when, well, when she and, comes out. 
Yeah, and and Sheridan and Sheridan and uh, Lieutenant Corwin, uh, you know, they sell it too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> More jump yes. points right on top of that. How many? Four. They know they're screwed. They know they're screwed. It's all over. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Except it's not. <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> yes. One more quick thing, sort of technical to touch on, um, and then we can talk a little bit more about the story arcs. Um, that we mentioned a couple of the actors. Uh, we also have the actors, um, the Renegade Earth Force. Uh, we have Bruce McGill uh, as Major Ryan, uh, Phil Morris as his second, um, acting second, since um, General Haig has been killed and a couple of others, uh, and Kim Miyori as Captain Hiroshi. And overall, I thought... By and large, their performances were excellent, in my opinion, um, especially uh, Bruce McGill, which some people may think he looks kind of familiar. He has been a major character actor for many, many, many years, but he got mm-hmm. his start in Animal House as D-Day. <laughs> That's him. Wow. I yeah, don't, I just thought I don't remember familiar. Animal House. Yeah, I, he's been at, at literally everything. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it's like a fairly notable um uh, guest act like character actor mm-hmm. as well. I knew him from uh, first off, and I shall always know him as such as uh, Jack Dalton from MacGyver. Huh. Uh, and so I, okay. I actually I actually didn't know that his name was Bruce McGill. I just sort of sort of you know through the years had not known his name and just knew of the actor as Jack Dalton. So in a way, this episode kind of um, kind of smashed some. <laughs> illusions for me sadly <laughs> phil morris though phil morris uh not the doctor who missing episode hunter but phil morris was uh in i believe the rebooted mission impossible um from 1988 and 89 i think that also started peter graves in the uh in the revamped episode that came about during the writer's strike and they needed uh something to fill the gap so they took old scripts of mission impossible and, and remade <laughs> them essentially and so he was in that yeah um and yeah i knew phil morris of all things from uh the years my sister was watching The Young and the Restless. He was a had a major recurring role during the years that she and I were living together. Um, but he's yeah been also in a ton of things, um, and currently is doing a huge huge amount of voice work. Um, he's uh, Vandal Savage in the Justice League universe, uh, Bruce Timm's universe, and doing all other kinds of voice acting for uh, for television and video games. And he was um, he, he was good. That 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 was a really yeah. sol- solid. Uh, uh, minor character uh, mm-hmm. did a casting mm-hmm. there, and Bruce McGill mm-hmm. was. Uh, I, I thought he was, he, he was really good. He didn't entirely look the military part. Mm-hmm. Well, he's a major. He wasn't, you know. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but I think he did very well, especially considering that he was a bit of a last minute replacement for Robert Foxworth, uh, General mm-hmm. Haig, who had uh who was locked in to do this episode and then got a better offer from Deep Space 9 playing a similar character <laughs> on DS9. Oh, I did not know that. The yes. the similarities continue then between these And gen- so JMS's decision, kill him off. <laughs> He's wow. not coming back. You're you, you, you go you want to go over there? Fine, you're done. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So the Civil War what? was happening in this episode and indeed in the production of <laughs> space station-based sci-fi shows of the mid-90s. That's awesome. And you know, it actually did provide a little bit of extra pathos, I think, for the episode because mm-hmm. I was I was sad. You know, we've had General Haig has sort of been the watchword for the past several episodes. I mean, for going 
quite a ways back, actually, but with these past few episodes, you know, knowing that he's on the run and we, we have all of our hopes sort of pinned on to, to him and his ship and his crew and stuff. And and then he gets here and and he's not even there. And, you know, yep. poor poor Ryan's got to tell his wife. And, oh, it's yeah, yeah. I, I think it, I think it worked. And that and, leaves, and it leaves Sheridan all alone because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Haig's been the leader of the anti-Clark opposition. You know, they talk about Haig mounting a coup uh, if he if he can in the um, previous episode and things like that. And um, and then Sheridan's got nobody. He 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 had somebody else that he could look to as, you know, his his boss in the conspiracy, as it were. Um, Mm -hmm. And that was, I guess, kind of comforting. Not anymore. Nope. Mm -hmm. Not anymore. Um, But, yeah, something else that I thought um, McGill was able to sell as Major Ryan at least in the beginning, well, and through the whole episode, actually. Um, the first, the fact that, you know, this is new. We're firing on each other. We're firing on people. He knew the general, or he knew the captain of the, of the Clarkstown, the ship that they took out at the beginning. Um, he had to be convinced to open fire by his second-in-command um, in order f- to save themselves. Um, and just, you know, the, the acknowledgement at the beginning that we are looking at the possibility of full-on civil war of us fighting ourselves. Um, and then, of course, by the e- end of the episode, um, he's tired of being chased. And he, you know, they ask him, you know, what are we going to do? We're going to go right down their throats. We've got to stand up for ourselves. The, the fight is open and it's here. Um, so that carrying that shift throughout the episode i thought uh, mcgill did a good job doing that here here yeah i mean the you mentioned it before the acting was was great just just all around i think my favorite scene performance wise was was back with our main characters when they're in the boardroom trying to decide whether they are going to mm-hmm. surrender or fight and you get that awesome you know th- I remember, I think it was the last episode, Chip, you were talking about how uh, JMS is, one of his weaknesses is sometimes overwriting and and overscripting, doing too much. And when he pulls it back and is very economical with with what he puts into the character's mouths, sometimes it packs extra punch. And the fact that their agreement is just the same word, fight, delivered four times in four slightly different ways, each one that's perfect for the character whose mouth it's coming out of. That mm-hmm. was that was so powerful amongst an episode of many, many powerfully delivered lines. Indeed. So taking a look then at um, sort of the, of the plot, we've been talking about how strong this plot is. Um, we've sort of got two sides to it, although they all center around the same thing. Uh, we've got, you know, that fact that the Earth Alliance has started pulling itself apart. We've got the, we've, sh- we've seen how, Sheridan was able to circumvent the martial law declaration by tricking Nightwatch into um, running into one room so he could lock them all up and keep them uh, keep them aside. Um, Mars apparently has it's had a history of separation of separatism, um, a faction wanting an independent Mars. And apparently there's enough of them in the government now that they could convince others um, to say, no, we're not going to implement martial law, um, which leads to Clark deciding to order the bombing of civilian targets. Um, and once so again, Sheridan is wrong. Sheridan yes. is the wrongest guy in science fiction television. <laughs> He's an optimist, and unfortunately it's misplaced. <laughs> when I was in college, uh, one of my friends was a real baseball fan, and he'd always talk about the sportscaster Kurt Gowdy, who had a tendency of 
there's no way he hits this. And of course the, the player hits this, you know, um, Sheridan is the Kurt Gowdy of uh, military <laughs> science fiction because every time he says there's no way, you know, maybe maybe Haig can pull off a coup. Clark's not going to stretch himself so thin. His base is on Earth. He's not going to move against Mars. You know, <laughs> poor Sheridan. Yeah, basically. Um, but yeah, the but on the, the other hand, um, the fact that Clark does go there. Um, starts the domino effect in that other outpost. So we hear about Proxima 3, Orion 7, um, that are apparently fairly significant um, colonies for uh, for Earth. Uh, both, they're far enough away, they're just basically able to say, you know, what? We're independent now. See ya. Um, and um, that, of course, forces Clark's hand, and he sends, you know, ships to Babylon 5, the only place that so far hasn't said anything. Uh, and then we see all of the shooty-shooty in the space. Yeah, and the result of that. Uh, I I, I do like I do like that the other um, that we have two other colonies that we never see on the show um, uh, reacting and declaring independence. That's sort of good for believability uh, for suspension of disbelief. That you know it, it makes it makes Babylon Five's decision uh, or Sheridan's decision um, no less monumental, but. Um, it doesn't just come out of the blue. We're, Babylon Five is doing it in support of other colonies. I, I just, I think that that helps the show from a believability standpoint. It makes it slightly less melodramatic. Mm-hmm. And of course, that leaves us with um, a huge amount of questions going forward. Of you know what's going to happen next? We've got. You know, Yilam and Bari have chased uh, Earth Force away from Babylon 5. We have no idea at this point if they're going to feel generous enough to maybe help these other outposts, if they're even close enough for that to be feasible, um, or if that's just going to make things worse uh, as far as like a reigniting of the Earth and Bari war. And then, of course, we have that ominous la- ominous last shot. I mean, yes, the, they brought Sheridan and Delenn out to be applauded. Yay, you did the right thing. And get we slide to a poster and the ominous music begins to remind us that this ain't over. Yeah. Speaking of that last scene where they are, you know, being applauded by everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that was brought up in the, in, in the comments on, on our website was just asking about like, how does the, you know, the average Joe and Jane on Babylon five actually feel about, about all of this that's happening. Mm-hmm. And of course, in a, a TV show where you've got to have all the action happen in about 45 minutes, it's, you do have to focus on your main characters. You can't, you can't have uh you can't have a individual look from from everybody on the station that's just literally not possible mm-hmm. and i think that that you really just need to have a shorthand way to to make it clear whether the po- general populace is is on on your side or not on your side and i think that actually babylon 5 has done a really good job of keeping us up to date with how the station at large feels about this stuff because you had nightwatch basically harassing people left mm-hmm. and right and people were getting really upset about that and then when um, you know when martial law is declared and people are are scared and upset about that you know any, anytime you see people crowding around televisions or something in the Zocalo mm-hmm. the reaction that they had was very consistent with the actions that were taken by the command staff and then I liked at the end that they had people just come out and applaud and and you know obviously it's not everybody in the station they're not all going to fit in the Zocalo 
in -hmm. the first place, but you do have a sizable crowd of people there. That's a lot of extras. And, and they're all cheering him on. And, and I think that 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 gives us as the viewer, some sort of sense of, you know, safety that that our our main characters are not about to suddenly be overthrown, as far as we know, uh, from within. So, so I do feel like it's not our command staff just going out on a limb and doing something without the support of the populace. I think I think I I, I feel pretty good about about how the the show has handled that aspect of things. Okay. Was the slow clap a cliche back then? <laughs> <laughs> well, somebody had to start it. Chip and I, I were on the same page. I agree. <laughs> yeah, it was that, and I, I, if they would have had him go on clapping by himself less long, it would have been perfect. But it did seem very sort of like the, it took a little too long for other people to join in, so it made it feel almost mm-hmm. a little forced. But I, I chalked okay. that up to the directing as well. I can see that, and of course, at the end there we have. Sheridan and Delenn side by side after Delenn has gone through um, her own thing. Uh, the Mimbari storyline and, and Delenn have sort of been kind of on the back burner this season, more or less. Um, season two was kind of all about um, her having to find her new place in her society after going through her transformation and not doing a very good job of it. Um, but then, you know, we find out that she's in charge of this group called the Rangers and is uh, working against the shadows with this group. So, you know, she sort of has a purpose again. And that's been sort of underlying this season. But I think this is like the first episode where, you know, Delenn is front and center again, and Mira Furlan gets to deliver her lines. And oh my God, she does such a good job. <laughs> she is just so strong in, in this episode. I just, yeah. I mean, I, I honestly don't quite have the words to describe how I feel about Delenn in this episode. It's just, she's she is the best. She's the bestest, bestest, bestest. And that's all I can say. <laughs> And, you know, this is not an uncommon uh, view. Uh, Stephen, <laughs> Stephen, you didn't hear it, but at, in the spoiler section uh, for last time's episode, Michi Trotta is like, uh, I, I can't wait for my favorite uh, my favorite scene in uh, all of Babylon 5. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's that scene. Mm-hmm. You are you are behind. He is behind me. You're in front of me. One of Be the great else. one of the great all time lines in science fiction TV. I'd actually seen that line. I think it was in a, um, uh, a like a Den of Geek article or something, like sort of like saying like the 35 most kick-ass lines in sci-fi history huh. or something like that. <laughs> and this is well, this is like two or three years ago, and uh-huh. I just remember reading it before before the pod, you know, this podcast ever came into being. And I read it, and I thought oh, that's a pretty cool line, and probably forgot about it. And right. only like right when she started, it says, "Oh my, it's this line." <laughs> and so it was. <laughs> It was kind of a cool moment that I that it sort of clicked together for me. Like, oh my god, that's the line right now. And I had forgotten who who had said it at the time. So like, the line itself was was familiar, but uh, but the mm. circumstances and indeed the person who delivered it was uh, was not right. How okay. are you feeling about Mira Furlan these days, Stephen? Oh, I like her a lot. I think um, I I you know the the character. I think she she carries the the right amount of emotion and Minbari stoicness, if that's a word. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is now. Just right. You know, I think she was deliberately sort of, um, 
you know, data-ish, to, to use a Star Trek uh, term as well, in, in the first season when she was full-on Mimbari, but, uh, mm-hmm. but she's been really great. I, I've, 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 enjoyed, I've enjoyed her character since she became more human. I hope that doesn't make me a speciesist in any way, but, uh, <laughs> but I, I thought she's pulled off some great stuff. Okay. Um, and also in this, um, in her plot thread, uh, we get um, a recurrence of some of the things that we've seen hints of that the idea that the Membari are being, have been working with the Vorlons against these shadow things. And apparently, apparently this has been going on a really long time and they've been preparing for, you know, like a thousand years uh, for this day to come. And of course, you know, and this is so human's not the right word since we're talking about aliens, but this feels very logical that, you know, so many people don't realize when the moment has come upon them um, because they've been talking about it for so long and the idea has been around for so long um, that, you know, that once it actually starts happening, not only are they not sure that it's happening, they don't necessarily want it to happen. They don't want that monumental of a change to come. Um, and Delenn, of course, is having none of it, um, that the, the Mibari cannot hide on the sidelines. They cannot stay neutral. Um, she's going to drag them kicking and screaming to help with the fight. Some of them anyway. Well, yes. Mm-hmm. We've hit on most of the things that I had listed to talk about. Um, does anybody have anything else they wanted to mention or bring up? I do. Okay, go for it. There's uh, one sequence that we haven't mentioned yet that I think, man, this story is it's just littered with great, strong scenes. So every time I think of one, I think, oh, this is one of my favorite parts or, oh, this is one of the most powerful parts. And then I think about the rest of the story and I'm like, well, <laughs> I guess they're just all powerful. Uh, the, the scene in ISN hit me really strongly. And oh, maybe yes. that's because, oh, yeah. Because I have a, a background in, you know, TV production and, and that sort of thing and many friends who, who have worked in the news and as as journalists and yeah watching watching the the news being you know overrun by government thugs and just they're they're doing their best to try to get the truth out for the last moment before they can i mean that's that's journalistic integrity at its finest and i mean just thinking about sort of the state of journalism in the real world right now whereas you know it's not so much the government knocking on their doors as as big business uh it just it it hit a little extra hard and made my heart hurt to see that happening so that was that was a rough scene for me to watch i think of of everything in this episode that was the most difficult emotionally because it really hit home yeah and it's so well done because we've seen this isn reporter the female reporter uh, a fair bit Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, she's familiar. She's familiar, but we've seen her. We, we've seen her through a view screen, and then in the middle of her last uh, report, uh, we actually go to the set on Earth, mm-hmm. and her producer comes up, and he's clearly not a regular. He's clearly not a regular anchor. He's just you know, he it, all all protocols th- thrown to the wind. Uh, the mm-hmm. troops are coming, and you know, he's got his Bob Barker microphone there, and he's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's there there are things that we have not been able to tell you and you know psh, but you know there's there's a real sense of panic there and in and intent um and this guy is a real journalist and the anchor is probably just as much a real gen- journalist but she falters because she knows mm-hmm. what what's coming until 
until he says, actually, the troops are already on the way. It's, mm-hmm. It is really powerful and believable. I buy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, a very, it's a very 90s vision of news gathering and newscasting, um, though <laughs> newscasting in 2016 has become very, very different. From, mm-hmm. uh, from 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 what from what ISN uh, present is presented as, but but it's still it's it's still real and you're right, uh, Erica. It's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. The only other thing that I wanted to mention was just it, you know there are nits to pick, and one that I have is, is sort of a, a language thing that has come up I think now twice in Babylon Five, and that is uh, when they are going in to bomb Mars, and you see the uh, the shot of the the pilot. I know space, where you're going. <laughs> whose face you can't see, which is a nice touch. I like the mm-hmm. you know the, the black mask over the pilot's face, but you can hear the voice from the surface of Mars over the radio begging him not to do it. He says, "We've got women and children down here." Mm-hmm. And that is, I think that's one of those cases where Babylon 5 is is set in the future and it's supposed to be this futuristic society where, you know, women and men are treated equally. I mean, you actually have uh, at least one woman as a soldier in the breaching pod that comes yes. in on the station. You've got yes. women in positions of command. So, I mean, overall, it's 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 okay when it comes to representation there. And I think that, that they've made a concerted effort to, to make the equality a little better. But then you get those subtle internalized biases and turns of phrase that as a writer you just don't necessarily recognize you're even using until mm-hmm. somebody hears them and it st- sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah. If it had said, we've got children down here, that yeah. would have been perfectly fine. Um, but yeah, it took me out of the moment a little bit because of because mm-hmm. that just rings so false at this point. Yeah. Erica, I will see you that and I will raise you the scene with Sheridan and his dad. Where's you mean mom? The fact that he, yeah, where's this mom? Mm-hmm. Where, where, where's mom? And not just not just where's mom, but who is mom? She's apparently this old fashioned, um, doesn't like to think about it. You know, it's mm-hmm. you know, it, and she's she, Aunt May. She sounds like she's Aunt May without the without the thrilling speeches in the comic books about gumption. You know. <laughs> Um, and he apparently doesn't even care enough for you know to have his dad get her on the line like that's yeah it's, it's well, she's important. off doing errands she's she do, she's doing off off doing a women's errands you see at the store and you shopping know how and whatnot. she is um, yeah. and now I, I think I've got an int- I've got a theory about this and it of course goes back to being the kind of fan that reads the Lurker's Guide and followed what JMS was saying online at the time but JMS has made no bones about the fact that his father was not an honorable person um mm-hmm. He said said lots of things about alcohol and being a deadbeat and the family moving from town to town to escape from creditors and things like that. JMS has no good things to say about his father. And there's just something about Rance Howard's character becoming a wish fulfillment character and Mm -hmm. being so perfect dad that it leaves no room for mom. Yeah, I could see that. And that's fine. I mean, honestly, that didn't bother me quite so much because there with Sheridan, you are looking at a particular character and his family relationship with his father and his mother. And I have no problem with a single character, you know, 
a woman being the kind of a woman who is, you know, doesn't want to think about these sorts of things because, boy, like that might be me in that situation. So I'm I'm OK with one one character being written that way. It's it's the fact that you have this this phrase that sort of everyone uses that, you know, women and children that, that they're they're using it as a a blanket defense against against someone that they think is going to to listen to that the fact that it's this far in the future women have come so far and yet people are still i don't know that's, mm-hmm. i think that's that, that bugs me more because it feels like it's more on a larger scale okay. i think it just shows that news gathering and casual sexism make a you know return in the uh, 23rd century so, <laughs> despite, all, despite of all all our advances uh coming up in the next two to three hundred years beware yep. of that Okay. Uh, Something else that just hit me that we didn't mention um, is Jakar. Um, The continuity of, you know, he has started um, building his favors so as to, um, I think, you know, try to angle himself um, a position with this group that he knows exists. Because uh, last episode, he um, brings the Narn in to help uh, replace the security guards that were Nightwatch. And then in this episode, he's in the right place at the right time to help um, Delenn and Franklin get uh, the Mimbari scout past uh, security so he can be healed in med lab. Um, and then, you know, we've even got, you know, Delenn's comment of um, when she gives the line about how much Jakar's changed in the last four years. I went right back to that awful scene in the gathering with the power rings and just like, oh, <laughs> yeah, not just him, honey. Both of you. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. I, I, lo- I love the interaction between the two of them. Yeah, and her line is, you are no longer quite the same person I met mm-hmm. when I came here four years ago. And and I liked the use of the word quite, because we also then earlier had Jakar saying no one here is quite what they appear to be. Mm-hmm. And and I, I just, the echo kind of twigged a little bit for me. And when mm-hmm. she says early on, you know, can you carry him very far? And Jakar says, as far as you like, I can just something yeah. about that just felt really gentle and poetic and like they they were having a moment and and I think that that Jakar is is really playing this the right way to to get in on the business that he he wants to learn about and and a thing that I didn't think about until just now is that that yes he has you know decided the Narn need to to sacrifice themselves and help the humans but I have to suspect that this is kind of a nice thing for the Narns on the station. I mean, mm-hmm. they've just sort of been in limbo. And now, you know, like Delenn is better when she's got a mission and she's on a path. And and now we've got all these Narn with something to do. They I have, have a, never a been so happy to see an officious TSA agent. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Yes. It just, it works. I think, I think it's, it, it's good. It's good all around. So I'm mm-hmm. pleased with this. Yes. And, um, yeah, speaking of moments, then we have, you know, right there at the end, uh, you know, Sheridan and Delenn, you know, as he's trying to, you know, thank her for for what she has done to help uh, save the station. Um, And, yeah, they almost have a moment (laughs) and get interrupted. It was a little bit of a, I don't know, given their relationship in their late part of the second season, I thought it was Mm -hmm. a little too formal. It's almost like they took a few steps back. Okay. Uh, before he sort of does this kind of like old-fashioned kissing of the hand and stuff like that, I thought I thought they were going to do something more. But then, you know, Delenn seems to firmly put uh, Sheridan in the friend zone with his "Yep, partners, shake, shake, put her there, partner," and that, and <laughs> yeah. Well, and then on the other hand, you know, they go through and everyone's applauding, and he he just puts his arm around her. So mm-hmm. you know, yeah, that's true. Yeah. 
You know, she's a Mimbari. The, the word partner may have very different sort of connotations for her than it does for a human in the first place. I mean, the fact that she reaches out to shake his hand, yeah, from an Earth perspective, that does seem maybe a little off-putting. But from a Mimbari perspective, where they just right. don't touch each other unless they're That's super true. close friends, and they do that, like, chest-touching, like, thing, the sternum thing, um, I think that that was actually kind of a really big deal uh, when you look at it from her perspective. Mm-hmm. That's what we should have called this podcast, the sternum thing. yeah no (laughs) I can't think of anything else at the moment can anybody else yeah I have one question ask away severed dreams why what what's what's the meaning of I suppose that could be a question every single episode what is the meaning of the title well I think the severed part feels kind of obvious if um you know I guess you know dreams of peace who know dreams of Dreams of tranquility. Babylon and Five was a dream given form. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Is that what it was? Right. And and the watch and the uh, the Mimbari scout there mentions dream of conquest or something. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, is that is that the why it's called what it is? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I, I thought it was odd. I, I I kept thinking of severed streets, um, the Paul Cornell huh. book. Every right. time uh, I was thinking of the uh, the episode name. So. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. So I got I got to ask Stephen, and I don't mean to be unkind by asking this question, but we were talking yeah. about Jakar just a few minutes ago. How are you mm-hmm. feeling about those Jakar and Londo characters now, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I enjoy Jakar's new direction. I, I and uh, he, he's really come through a. a great crisis and now he seems to have seen seen the 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 world for what it is so i'm intrigued he's kind of gone back to that sort of like ooh, walking around sort of officious and and slightly pompous and camp a little bit um i did i did enjoy the uh well i didn't enjoy it was a horrifically good performance when he was sort of the oppressed minority um but i enjoy seeing where he's going i enjoy that the narns have uh have some power in the station, despite being somewhat poor fighters in a in a battle. Um, but uh, but no, I'm intrigued to see what uh, what happens with uh, with Jakar as as this goes on. I have been known to flail wildly uh, when you have been on in years past and talking about uh, the, the the joke characters. Um, and I'm glad that <laughs> right. I'm glad uh, knowing knowing what was to come. I've, I I just bided my time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, congratulations, sir. I am. I, you have been proven correct. <laughs> we can stop the oh. podcast now. Uh. <laughs> On this, anyway. We'll see how Aragorn turns out, but uh, it's good start so far. <laughs> okay. All right. So um, I think that uh, wraps up the part of the podcast where we talk about everything uh, up through this episode and avoid spoilers for future episodes. Um, people who are listening to the podcast and would like to chat or talk with us about what we are saying or agree with us, disagree with us, throw in new points. Um, we have our website at b5audioguide.com where every episode has two chat threads. One is for people who have seen it all or do not fear the spoilers. And one for people who, like Stephen, are being very careful to be surprised this first time around as you watch. Uh, We can also be uh, tweeted at 
uh, and tumbled at at B5 Audio Guide. Um, our next episode will be Ceremonies of Light and Dark. That is your homework for uh, the next time when we all get together again. And at this point, uh, we have to thank Stephen very much for his appearance, uh, for coming and telling us um, all of his experiences as he goes through this. But unfortunately, we have to say goodbye to you because we're about to talk about all the stuff you can't hear. Rats. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent character. No, no, no. The answer is nuts. Nuts! Oh, that's right. (laughs) Yeah. Ow, I broke my arm, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, But once again, Stephen, thank you very much for joining us. Um, Thank you. And at this point, it's time to go through a jump gate. And we're back. And uh, Stephen has gone to uh, join up with um, rebel forces on Proxima 3 or something, uh, which leaves us free to talk about the rest of the series and what Severed Dreams does uh, kind of smack in the middle of it. Uh, so oh. We're halfway there, you guys. <laughs> we, we, kind, we, we almost are. Almost. About. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know... Maybe and maybe if you add the two episodes, the the, the two parts of the gathering, um, and maybe we are literally at the halfway point. I'm not sure, but um, <laughs> God, this it, it, I, I I referred to it in the uh, pre spoiler section, but I keep coming back to share to Sinclair's line at the end of season one about nothing's the same anymore, and it's like mm-hmm. you don't really get that until Severed Dreams mm-hmm. here. It's it, it yeah. it's a solid break, I mean, and yeah, they're going to be having they're going to be wearing new uniforms uh, come next ne- episode and very like next that, episode, yeah. The very, but but there there is before there's the before severed dreams, and then there is after severed dreams. Yeah, it, that, I think mm-hmm. that is the clearest turning point or point of no return in the entire series. <laughs> well, yeah, I think it fits the the triangle structure of drama perfectly. Uh, that this is sort of like the the peak conflict, and everything after this is kind of sorting out. Just um, now that the ant hill's been kicked over, they're they're trying to fix it all. Yeah, uh, Stephen was talking about you know which war are we dealing with? You know, the Earth mm-hmm, War yeah. or the Shadow now we war. have multiple ones. Yeah, and. Am I just out of left field here, or is the Shadow War actually not all that important to the five year arc? When you get Um, right, when you get right down to it, is the is the bigger issue Earth? The way things wound up playing out with having to squeeze everything into season four, and then have the you know picking up the leftovers with the telepath war in season five. sort of feels like that because yeah they're still fighting the shadows um into into season four um but after they take care of that it's like the bigger mission it it does feel kind of like the bigger mission is to go free earth from from clark yeah and i feel like that's that really is sort of just a in retrospect it turned out that way i don't Mm -hmm. think that that that's like you said shannon it really was i think just a function of the fact that they had to squeeze stuff in if it had been a little more spread out i do think that the shadow war would have been you know instead of having this triangle of drama we would have actually had two different peaks um, both being both being equal and i would say that it's still pretty close because a lot of the the fallout that we're dealing with afterwards you know the crap that's happening on centennial 
Centauri Prime and even the disease on mm-hmm. Earth is that's all an effect of the Shadow War. I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. it's yes, it's fallout mm-hmm. from this war, but it's also fallout from the Shadow War. So yeah. I I would I would say that they are both equally important to the arc of the show. And really, when you ask somebody who hasn't seen Babylon Five in a long time, you know, what do you remember about the show? What was the deal with it? They're going to remember the shadows and the Vorlons, mm-hmm. probably. Good, be- good point. That's, that's, that's first true. thing that they're going to mention. I mean, and I know this because this is how I have described the show to people in the past before I went back and rewatched a bunch mm-hmm. of times. Uh, so that's that tends to be the thing that really hits. Well, it is also the thing that involves more of the characters consistently because it's the shadow war where the aliens come together with the humans to fight the good fight. Uh, by the time we get to um, taking back Earth, every the, the aliens have all very carefully, you know, their, their support is very careful so as not to um, give the general populace the impression that the aliens are invading, but this is Earth Force taking back its own. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we've got, yeah, the, the anthill has been well and truly kicked over for Earth and Babylon 5 de- declaring its independence. Um, we've got the beginnings of what will eventually be essentially a something of an, a Mimbari civil war going oh, on. yeah. Yeah. Really. I mean, and yeah. and it it's sort of it's sort of backburnered until we mm-hmm. come back to it in season four, but it, it's it's kind of a quiet civil war because the, Minbari don't kill Minbari. We just stick them in. Uh, we we just bear, blockade them in cities and starve them out. You know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that doesn't count as killing. Yeah. <laughs> And we've got, you know, the mention again of, of Valen and the idea of this prophecy. And, you know, that will finally get all explained in War Without End when we find out that that's Sinclair that made that prophecy yeah. and wrote it all down because it all really happened while he was there. I do like that because it's sort of, uh, you know, the prophecy stuff comes off as a pretty woo-woo uh, for mm-hmm. a science fiction series. Um and uh, and obviously we've got stuff like uh, the Centauri uh, telepathy and, pro- and and prophecy going on. So there's still some of that, but all of the prophecies of the Minbari are because there was this guy who read history and lived through it and just went back in time a thousand years, and that's uh, that that's just kind of cool. Valen predicted the dissolution of the Grey Council because Sinclair was there when it happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically, he drags the Mimbari along by their own bootstraps. Yep. Sometimes it feels like that's the only way you're going to get the Mimbari to do anything. Yep, it's a bootstrap paradox, and that's <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. that's all it's going to work on a Mimbari. <laughs> Who um, did so- write Beethoven's Fifth? <laughs> <laughs> um, so we've got um, Chip already mentioned how, you know, Sinclair's line really echoes very strongly. Nothing's the same anymore. Um, something else that was echoing for me during this episode was Sheridan's uh, lesson from his dad, uh, never start a fight, but always finish it. Um, Sheridan did not start what is going to be the these massively huge fights on two different fronts, but he will finish them in a huge way. Um, and he will he will go through hell to do it. Yeah, I appreciate that about his character. He is... He's he's the good guy. He's the clean cut captain. He's the Boy Scout, and that is, uh, you know, very very much within what I would expect from his character and the the teachings of his his paw. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I will admit to a a huge little bit of squee, but um, you know, even though like Stephen said, it sort of came off as formal. But on the other hand, they were in a public place uh, exactly. for Sheridan mm-hmm. to you know 
formally tr- start to kiss Delenn's hand, and um, you know, her, and the idea of her saying "my partner" also resonated. You know, with the two of them working together side by side against these forces that are against them, but also eventually, yes, they will be partners as husband and wife. And oh, Linear is not going to be happy about that. Next time, he's got a confession to make. Yeah, and it's a very poorly timed confession. Yep. Well, a poorly timed feeling. And feelings yes. just can't be timed. But uh, we will have much to say about that next time. Yes, we will. <laughs> I could think of a couple other things uh, to toss out there that uh, we may could have brought this one up beforehand, and I just never thought of a good time to do it. But one of the nits I have to pick about this episode is using Drawl's holographic thing instead mm-hmm. of the regular PA system to announce the um, the secession. And then, you know, they very carefully explain why they're not going to use Drawl to help fight against the Earth Force. And, you know, that's a good thing since you've just brought this MacGuffin back into play. That always, that's irritated me every single time. See, I kind of like it. I actually think that that's a nice balancing act because, you know, you do have this super powerful, the super powerful thing. And I appreciate mm-hmm. that at least in this case, they didn't just completely ignore it and forget that they had this giant planet right beneath them yeah. that has all these powers. So they had to mention it. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I mean, I guess they could have just stopped at saying we want to keep that as our ace in the hole. But I, I like the idea that he used the that sort of PA system mm-hmm. because this is such a momentous thing. They're... They're seceding from from EarthGov. And I think a way to to kind of, you know, get a hold of people and make them really sit up and pay attention and recognize the gravity of the situation is to do something wacky crazy like that that they're not going to expect because, you know, that's not a part of their everyday life of Babylon 5. They certainly have some sort of regular PA system, which a lot of people probably tend to ignore after a while. It's like when you get, you know, a Mm. whole bunch of notifications on your phone, eventually you just sort of start ignoring those notifications notifications. So this is a mm-hmm. way to have people pay attention to make sure that they actually do go to their quarters. It's a, honestly it's a way to save lives because people mm-hmm. will be more prepared for what is about to come. Yeah. Okay. I but can it see is that. a but it is a touch I will say it's a touch Machiavellian and in in the sense that it makes him look more powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, if if we if we want to go to our uh, commenter's question about just how democratic this revolution is and all this other stuff, and uh, we go to uh, season four and the formation of the interstellar alliance and that sort of thing and the sort of politicking that Sheridan does to make that happen, you know there is a bit of great man going on here, a, a little bit of great man mythologizing uh, about uh, the Interstellar Alliance and the rise of Sheridan. And I do think that the draw hologram thing is a bit of that. I don't know that it's intended to be, and it is it is very cool for all the reasons that you say, Erica, but you can just sort of plug in a little something darker if you want to. True. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, at, my headcanon for uh, Epsilon 3 has always been that there's only so... Epsilon 3 only has so much range. Um, mm-hmm. They blew up the ship full of Varn's people when it was going down there to try to take custody of the great machine. Um, mm-hmm. Epsilon 3 may not be all that useful for, you know, shadow vessels fly, uh, f- flying all around uh, the station. I'm just it's an intelligence gathering thing, I think more than anything else. It tends mm-hmm. to, it looks it looks like it's its great powers are communication based and you know and opening a hell based. of a time rift. <laughs> okay, yeah. yes, and then there's that. 
another nit I have to pick I'm more forgiving of because I am perfectly willing to believe that um, at the time it just didn't occur to JMS to um, that, that he wasn't thinking this far ahead yet. Um, but we have the talk with Sheridan and his dad. Um, and it would have been really cool if he'd asked about his health briefly, just enough to remind us that David Sheridan needs a specific kind of medication, and that was how Garibaldi's um, was able to make the claim that his dad had been tracked down and captured during the latter part of the um, of uh, Clark's occupation, uh, which mm-hmm. is how he he was able to um, lure Sheridan into the trap to get him back to Earth. That, yeah, I wonder yeah. if they just didn't hadn't decided that that exact thing was going to happen. At this point, yeah, or or if JMS had that sort of nebulously in the future, but hadn't thought of the detail of how exactly. to do it. So, mm-hmm. but like I said, that's the kind of thing that you know when you're in the middle of writing this big, great big television show, you don't always think of everything. Yeah, although we have had a lot of moments like that leading up to this point, it could be that we're just sort of we finally crested the hill, and now that we're going to we're going to be going downhill faster and faster towards the end, end of the series and. JMS just has to keep writing and writing to uh, stay ahead. Uh, the the thing that I noticed, um, I'm going to go right back to that ISN scene again. Mm-hmm. Uh, just thinking forward to the sequence where we finally do see that same newscaster again right. after oh, when know, they finally bring it back, basically. Oh, that is just yeah, such a gut they, punch. And the fact that they're able to bring on the the fake ISN, giving the you know giving Clark's news straight from the source um, as he wants it. Uh, for the longest time and, you know, people, you know, believing, not believing. And yes, then then finally to bring back the same actress when it's really ISN again and they can really talk again. Yeah. And, and the way that she sort of catches herself to keep from crying uh, when she's yeah. back on camera mm-hmm. is just really powerful. She does a great job. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a, pity a we won't, of... it's a pity we won't see her again for another two, uh, two and a half years. No, <laughs> no, no, no. A year and a half. In a year and a half. End of year and, in, half. In, year and a half. End of season four. Can we think of any other any other forward things that we haven't mentioned already? I like the dry. You know, we're going to have a problem with sabotage uh, conversation that Sheridan and Garibaldi <laughs> no have. Kidding. And sure enough, next episode, next yep. episode, the gnarly McCarians uh, will be <laughs> um, at work. Indeed. Yep. This was just as good as I remembered it, even with the, mm-hmm. the, the sort of nitpicks that we that we found that I tend to overlook. Yeah, it's... I, th- I think when an episode is this strong, I mean, I think we tend to get more nitpicky because there aren't big things to to mention. There, there aren't problems because uh, I don't yeah. think anything that we mentioned qualifies as an actual problem, just sort of a minor issue. So mm-hmm. so. You know, it would be kind of a boring podcast if we just went, oh, my God, I love this scene. And do you remember when Delenn walks in and she says she's going to tear the ship apart with her bare hands? Oh, my God, that was so great. Like, I could do that podcast. <laughs> but I feel like listening to it might be a little bit annoying. So, so yeah, we are going to focus on the negative a little bit simply yeah. because that's that's the thing that we can talk about coherently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, could I mention one of the conversations that we've had on the uh, website? Uh the back and forth about whether uh, we've been mischaracterizing this as a holy trilogy when cer- ceremonies of light and dark is ahead. The af- the aftermath of the immediate aftermath of what's happened. Yeah. And I feel like it's too aftermathy. Um, I think I feel like it's an epilogue. I think it's uh, the Grey Havens 
you know, I mean, there's more story afterwards, so that's not, you know, it's not a great analogy, but, you know, the point of this ep- the point of this part of the story is not, hey, we got new uniforms, it's, hey, we broke away from Earth. Mm-hmm. And so, so I, I continue to maintain that this is a trilogy, not a tetralogy. I, I agree, because I, I was trying to think, well, I was like, well, maybe, you know, is it just sort of a, a, a duology with a, a prologue and an epilogue? And then I was like, no, no, stuff, important things happened in Messages uh, messages from mm-hmm. Earth that actually kicked off everything. So that's that's not quite uh, prologue enough, I think. I, I do think it is still sort of a, a trilogy with, with an epilogue. Yeah, I'm going to withhold judgment until our next episode because, you know, I, I remember the basics of it mm-hmm. and, a, and, a, and a bit of a scene or two, but I don't have a strong enough mental memory to say so right now, whether it's more of an epilogue or if it's actually holds up enough to be part of a series of four. So I'm going to hold I'm going to hold on to that until next time. Oh, look I can, at you being all reserved and grown up. Yeah. I like this. <laughs> Me, my biases are on the table. Um, I, I'm, I'm jumping I, I am, to Team Shannon. Team yeah. Shannon. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 remember, I remember Ceremonies of Light and Dark. I'm going to watch it with an open mind because I've been surprised before uh, during this run through. But all I can remember is the foot bones connected to the thigh bone. Yeah, and you know that you know uh, creep, creepy Mc, creepy McKnife guy, and I, you know, I don't want to think of uh, a, a bad episode being a part of uh, a tri- of, of a tetralogy. It's 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 three episodes and then <sighs> ceremonies. Well, like I said, I'm gonna wait and see. I, I, the fact that I don't have much of a mental impression of it maybe says something. But I think so. Yeah, but but I am going to wait and actually and and watch it first before I decide. Yeah. Oh, and look at that! You know, it'll it'll be it'll have been three episodes since Messages from Earth. So and uh, Marcus will show up again. So Stephen was right. <laughs> <laughs> a three episode oh, rotation, it, perhaps. Man. You know, it's funny when he said, I have a question, and his question was just about the title, uh, which is something that he had brought up previously. Right. So I wasn't surprised by that. I, I honestly thought it was going to be asking, is the telepath ever coming back? <laughs> because because yes. he mentioned her again after watching yes. this. Yes, yes the telepath yes, will be is. back and you'll get to watch her have sex on camera. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty oh. much. If he if he didn't hate spoilers so much, that would be a wonderful sentence to just say to him, just to see the look on his face. <laughs> but I won't. I won't. No, but he's he's being brave. He's being tough. Mm-hmm. And he's holding holding out. Yep. Okay. Well, I think with that, um, we can finally wrap up uh, this particular episode uh, with talking about Severed Dreams, and it has been so much fun to talk about it. Um, Yes, there will be other episodes that will be a lot of fun to talk about, but I've been looking forward to this one for so long. (laughs) I will admit. (laughs) Okay. Um, So once again, for those of you who stuck around till the end of the episode, um, come talk to us um, at B5 Audio Guide or on Twitter or Tumblr and uh, come say what you think about all of the stuff we say and all of the stuff that we don't say, because, of course, we don't say everything. Uh, And we will be back next time with Ceremonies of Light and Dark. Until then, this is Shannon and Durham. Chip and Durham. And Erica and Edmonton. And you've been listening to the audio guide to Babylon 5. It's all downhill from now, kids. (laughs) Until it goes uphill again and then downhill again. 
Indeed. Two peaks. Two peaks. At this point, it's time to go through a jump gate. I've never heard that complete sound effect because I always stop it. <laughs> You're a diligent man. Just in man. case. You're a diligent I always man. Because I always expect, like, once it's out, they go, Wah! Chip will just, like, yell and scream at some crazy plot development or something. It like has that. happened. It has yeah, happened. more than once. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So it's it's good that you do it. Maybe someday I will play the full sound effect for you, uh, just so you can hear it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. and, and indeed, the end theme. I have no idea how the show actually ends to this. <laughs> it it's it's it sounds just like the, it it starts. So you're not yep. missing oh, anything good. there. Oh, yep. good. And I do appreciate like the little the little nuggets of information ship. By the way, with you know about Robert Foxworth, Foxworth, mm-hmm. him, yeah. Uh, the reason why he wasn't there and everything, because Erica will tell you, the, literally the first thing I do after seeing a movie or something is I'll go on the Wikipedia page mm-hmm. and read all about the production and making of, and I can't do that with Babylon 5, and it kind yeah. of upsets me. So when yeah. I find out little tidbits of it like that, it makes me happy. <laughs> well, we will continue to try to make you happy. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right. <laughs> okay. I will go away now, and you can talk about all the stuff that happens after this, which is probably not much at all. But uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah.